Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. Today we complete our series through the life of Elijah. And here's the key concept for today. God honors His faithful servant. God honors His faithful servants. As you can tell, I have a little struggle with my voice today. Had a little cold throughout this week. It's ringing a little bit, guys. So just bring it down a little bit. Uh, so they're trying to make an adjustment so that I can, you know, you can hear what I'm saying, but it's the voice that I have. But it reminded me that when I was a boy, when I got sick, uh, my dad would often stop at the five and ten cent store and pick up a comic book for me to read while I was sick. So there in my sick bed, I would read about superheroes, Superman, Batman, and so forth. And those comic book heroes that I read about in my sick bed are now big business. You know that, right? Superheroes dominate the franchises of movies. In 2019, the movie Avengers Endgame brought in almost $2.8 billion. Um, Really, that's a movie, $2.8 billion. And the thing about superheroes is they have superpowers or a superpower. It sets them apart from everybody else. Maybe they can fly, maybe they can run real fast, or maybe they can control objects with their mind, whatever it is. To be a superhero as compared to a regular, ordinary, run-of-the-mill hero, the superhero is special. They have something special that only they can do. And what we find out in today's passage is that Elijah is the superhero of the prophets. He's special in the way that he departs from the earth. Now, as we come to our passage today, 2 Kings chapter 2, we see both Elijah and Elisha together. Elijah is nearing the end of his life, the end of his ministry on earth, but we will see that that is no commonplace ending. It's an ending that is the most dramatic of any final moments recorded in the Scripture. Elijah will be swept into heaven in a fiery chariot, and he's not going to taste death. And the scene starts with Elijah and Elisha traveling. Elisha is that chosen successor to Elijah. Back in 1 Kings 19, we saw that he, uh, Elijah was to choose Elisha ever since that time. He's been traveling with Elijah, spending time learning and growing. And here in chapter 2, verse 1, we'll pick up the reading. It says this, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. We'll stop our reading there. One man has said, there is no such thing as success without successors. In other words, none of us will be here forever. None of us will be doing what we do forever, whether that's in business or in family or in ministry. All of us will one day move on and somebody else will move in. And it's vital that we think about 
what's coming after us, our successors. And Elijah has done that through the prompting of Almighty God. Elisha has been chosen, and now the pair is traveling together. They start at Gilgal, but it's not the Gilgal that you read about in the book of Joshua uh, in the south. It's actually up in the north, a a different Gilgal. And they move from there to Bethel. It says they come down to Bethel. That's how we know it's in the north. And then they move down. They're going to make their way to Jericho and finally to the banks of the Jordan River. And as they do this, they're moving steadily south and east. Bethel, the second stop along the way, was that infamous city that was a center for pagan worship. Evil King Jeroboam, when the nation was divided, made that place a center for worship in a kind of an amalgamation of of Yahweh worship and Baal worship. He made that a place where the northern people will go so they would not go all the way to Jerusalem and worship truly the one true God. And ever since, it was a, a place of pagan worship. And, but there we see there was a school for a, a aspiring prophets, if you will. The company of the prophets is what the NIV says. And they were there in, in, in Bethel, and they, they meet the two as they're traveling. Once again, they, they travel on to Jericho, and there on Jer- at Jericho also, there's a school of the prophets, the company of the prophets associated with Elijah, the NIV, NIV calls it. And they're, head- they're heading towards the Jordan River. And Along the way, in each of the stops, Gilgal, then Bethel, then Jericho, and we'll see at the Jordan River, Elijah asks Elisha, you stay here, and I'm going to go on alone, and Elisha refuses to stay. It almost seems as if they're having a running argument as they travel from one point to another. But this is not an argument. This is a test. Elisha is being tested. They both knew that the end was coming for Elijah, that the burden of leadership would soon be put on Elisha. And the test is this. The test is, are you ready to go it alone? Or will you take the easy way out and leave Elijah to his fate all by himself? Will you hang back and stay in the shadow of Elijah, or are you ready to step out and recognize that you now wear that mantle of leadership? He's served Elijah and been his chief student for some time. Elijah personally came and recruited him, and he has been devoted to the calling. In fact, what we see in Elisha's response to that test over and again is Elisha is much more devoted to the calling than he is devoted simply to obey the will of his teacher. And that's important because he has been called to a ministry that's going to be vital The Bible uses the word called in many different ways. One of the ways we read in the New Testament that we are called to be believers, as believers, we're called to a life of righteousness. We're called to be people of hope. We're called to be people of holiness. Sometimes we're called to endure suffering for the faith. But sometimes when the Bible uses the word called, it's used to describe God placing a person in a particular role of service and prompting that person to serve in in a special way. Paul says of himself in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He was separated out for that role of apostle. 
And he took up that mantle. Elisha, like Elijah, has been called to be a prophet. And the call has come from God. God saw in Elisha, before Elijah ever met him, God saw the raw material of the prophet that would succeed Elijah. And he has refined that calling. And he has served Elijah. And now, in this journey, we see testing and clarifying moments. Because the question that's being subtly asked is, are you all about just pleasing Elijah or are you ultimately serving God and taking up your role and stepping out on your own? Will you be able to pick up the work when Elijah's time ends? This is the clarifying moment. And and we see the tenacity of his own sense of call. That's what's being tested. And ironically, he passes the test by pushing back against Elijah's will. When he refuses to do what Elijah asks him to do four times, he refuses to stay put, but he continues on, he passes the test. And he shows Elijah and us that there is burning within him this sense of call. No, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to follow hard. I am called to do this. I must do this. That also is found in the life of the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 9, he says, Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul is saying, I felt the call of God in my life, and I have to do this. And so is Elijah. And so in both Bethel and Jericho, as they have that little interchange, there are the company of the prophets there. And, the, and the, the prophets in both of those cities pull Elisha aside and say, hey, do you know that this is the last day you're going to see Elijah? Do you know that your master is leaving you? And in both cases, out of respect or out of grief, he says, keep it quiet. I don't want to talk about that. In other words, he's saying God is up to something here and and we don't want to get in the way. We dare not step in the way of what God is doing. And so when we get down to verse 7 of chapter 2, we see that 50 of those student prophets stand at a respectful distance away from the two leaders who are approaching the Jordan River and they watch and, they, and since they're watching from that respectful distance, they're able to see the final miracle of Elijah. Let's pick up the reading in verse 7. In the middle of verse 7, it says, Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Like Moses, the power of God through Elijah divides the waters. And on the other side of the Jordan River, Elijah and Elisha share a final conversation. Elijah begins by speaking and he says, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? And Elisha responds, Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours Otherwise, not. So what's going on here? What does it mean when he says, I want to receive from you a double portion? One thing that it doesn't mean is this. It doesn't mean, let me be doubly good at being a prophet as compared to you. That's not what he's asking. That's the wrong reading of this request. 
The double portion means, let me receive a double portion of the, 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 the inheritance of the blessing as compared to the other prophets that are watching here, you see. This request springs from the inheritance laws of the day. And the inheritance laws of the day stipulated that the firstborn son would receive double the rest of the inheritors. And so what Elisha is saying, he's saying, I want to be treated as the spiritually firstborn son. I want to have the position of the firstborn, which would be the role of the leader among the prophets. In other words, I want to step into your shoes and do what you have done. And it goes back to that sense of calling, that sense that that urgency. This is what God has designed me to do and now called me to do, and I must do it. That's what I must do. But in reality, the calling comes from God. It doesn't come from Elijah. This is, a, this is a God thing, not a human thing. And so Elijah says, well, if you see me depart, that means God is saying yes to your request. But it's Elijah's desire that I want you to notice. He wants to step into that role for which he is called. What about you? Do we have that desire? See, I believe God places calls on our lives. God puts us in a situation where He's asking us to do something. And sometimes that call is to missions or ministry, kingdom service in a full-time way. And I think that many more people actually feel that call on their lives that actually say yes to the call. We sense the desire to do more. Maybe it's just a high level of volunteerism, or maybe it is vocation in ministry or missions. And we sense that, but soon we're swept away, swept along with the current of other choices. And the call of God, that, that thing that He's planted in our hearts, it gets drowned out. I wonder how many Jesus followers will tell you in moments of honesty, you know, I always thought about serving the Lord full time. That initial spark, that initial desire, that's the first flame of the call. And when we feel that, we need to be like Elisha who pursued training, who pursued service and volunteered and stepped up. There's no more satisfying way to spend your years on this earth than doing exactly what you know God has called you to do. And Elisha says, that's what I want. I want that more than anything else. It starts with a heart warm to do just and only what God wants me to do. And it's nurtured in volunteer service. It's explored as you, as you ask questions about your divine design. And maybe it will lead you, you to a, a place of satisfying volunteer service for the kingdom of God where you know, man, this is what I want to do. Or maybe it's a vocational calling into ministry or missions. Either way, it's a God thing. And God wants to do that. Elijah knows that Elisha is asking for a God thing. So if you see my dramatic departure, God has that call on your life. So let's read on. Verse 11. As they were walking along, talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. And that's the ancient expression of grief. And Elijah is taken away. 
He's one of only two people in all the Bible who go to heaven without dying. Elijah here and Enoch in Genesis chapter 5. What a fantastic honor for both Elijah and Enoch. They pleased God to the point of escaping physical death. And Elisha sees that spiritual chariot of fire. Now, the the chariot of fire, the horses, they would not have been visible to the ordinary human eye. Just as right now, when you look around, you don't see the angelic reality around us, do you? You don't see through the spiritual curtain into the supernatural, even though it's very real and it's very active. Something has to happen to remove that curtain for us to see into the spiritual realm. And that's exactly what has happened in Elijah's life right here. He sees through the natural to the supernatural, and he sees that fiery chariot pick up Elijah. Now, here's a little parenthesis, something worth noting. Way back in chapter 19, 1 Kings 19, verse 4, Elijah prayed to God. He prayed, God, take my life. Remember that? In the pits of his depression, he prayed, God, take my life. And aren't you glad God said no to that prayer? And God has said no to some of your prayers as well. How do you react when God says no? Do you huff off all mad? Well, I'm just not going to go to church anymore. That'll teach him. How do you react when God says no? God says no to Elijah uh, in, in that situation. Here's what you need to know about Elijah and about you. When God says no to your prayers, it's because he has a better yes in mind. All right? And that's true of Elijah. Elijah. None of the things that happened after that point would have occurred if God had said yes to that prayer. This miraculous takeoff in the fiery chariot would never have occurred if God had said yes. Not only did God say, no, I'm not going to take your life, God knows in the back of his mind, guess what? You're never going to die. I'm bringing you up in the fiery chariot. Sometimes we complain. I want you to have faith. No will bring you to a better yes. And the answer to Elisha's request is yes as well. So Elisha sees the chariot uh, and he passes the test. But, But Elisha has another test in mind. And that is, we read on and we know that he picks up the mantle of Elijah, the shoulder piece that he would have wore. It's a skin piece on the shoulders. That fell off evidently as Elijah went up in the chariot and he picks up that mantle made of skins. And let's see what happens. Verse 13, pick up the reading. It says, he picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and he went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left and he crossed over. The two, and the company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed down to the ground before him. See, when Elisha asks, where now is the God of Elijah? What he's really asking is this. God, have you departed with Elijah? Have you gone back up into heaven along with him in that fiery chariot? Or are you right here right now with me, empowering me? And the answer is, I'm with you. And the company of the prophets recognize him as the leader. Success because of a successor. Now, in this series, we've been looking at the life of Elijah. And it might seem that this is the end of the story, right? Elijah is 
up in heaven through the fiery chariot. However, Elijah has a few encores yet in Scripture. The first one is a figurative encore. Malachi 4 verse 5 says, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And the Jews in Jesus' time interpreted that to mean that Elijah would physically come back as a forerunner for the Messiah. Now, the disciples knew that. They understood that, that teaching. And they saw also Jesus begin to teach that he was the one true Messiah. And so they asked Jesus about that. What about that prophecy of Malachi? Wasn't Elijah supposed to come? Here's Jesus' answer. Verse 1712 of Matthew says, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Jesus says that fulfillment was a figurative fulfillment. John the Baptist was the Elijah-like figure that Malachi was talking about that he had in mind. John came in the power and the spirit of Elijah. The prophecy is true. But even that's not the end for Elijah. He actually makes a literal encore in Mark chapter 9. In the story of the transformation, it says, when Jesus was transfigured, there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets. They're standing there with Jesus in the glorified state. They're, they're indicating that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that the law and the prophets pointed to throughout all time. This is the literal Elijah standing on that mountain. Will there be a third encore? Well, the Apostle John gives us a glimpse into the future tribulation period. And he tells us in the book of Revelation that during that period, two witnesses will arrive in the city of Jerusalem and they will prophesy in the streets of Jerusalem for 1,260 days. They're not named in the book of Revelation, but there has been historically a strong uh, interpretive tradition that says those two witnesses are the two who are on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah. Yes, yet again, he shows up. We'll have to see if that's how it works out. But let's just say Elijah has been busy even since the fiery chariot. So what do we learn from the life of Elijah? Well, we learn boldness. This was a man of very few words, but bold actions, performing miracles that saved lives, but most importantly, that spoke the truth to power, the truth that the evil kings were taking the nation in the wrong direction. And he was willing to be bold and stand up. What do we learn from Elijah? We learn the reality of the spiritual, uh, the spiritual reality all around us. The chariot would have been there picking up Elijah whether Elisha saw it or not. But God granted him a view behind the curtain, behind the veil. We don't see that, but it is very real today. The spiritual struggle in the heavenlies is happening right now. What do we learn from Elijah. We learn about our own future. Now, I'm not telling you that you're going to be swept into heaven on a fiery chariot, but I'm saying this, you are an eternal being, and you will live forever. You will live forever somewhere. 
If you know Christ as personal Savior, you're you're living right now with one foot in heaven and one foot on earth. One day you're going to cross that threshold and you're going to take hold of that life that is truly life, the eternal life that God has for you in glory. And you're going to live forever. But that only applies to those who have said yes to the forgiveness that Jesus offers, who have said yes to His love. And so I'm I'm prompted to ask, have you done that? Because that's what prepares you to live forever in glory. You will live forever somewhere. And if you know you haven't done that and you need to do that, I'm going to help you do that right now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And at home, do the same. Just go into an attitude of prayer. Because I'm going to ask you, point blank, are you sure you're going to heaven? Do you know that you know that glory awaits you. You can say yes if Jesus is your Savior and has forgiven your sins. And if you're doubting that, we can make it sure today. It's done in a prayer, expressing your faith. These aren't magic words. They're just words that tell the story. And if you need to do it, silently where you sit, here or at home, simply pray this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I need you. I believe you died on the cross so that I could be forgiven. I believe you rose again. And Lord, I pray that you forgive my sin. Make me your child. Give me that promise of heaven and purpose in this life now. I want to be born again. And if you prayed that prayer, the Holy Spirit right now is already working in your life, transforming you from the inside out. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I don't know who prayed that prayer. I don't know if anybody prayed that prayer, but I know it's your desire that people pray that prayer or something like it to grab hold of the promise of eternity with you and purpose here living for your glory. Lord, for all of us, many of us have said yes to to Jesus years ago, but help us to take that lesson that we're always able to represent you well. We are called to do that. Help us not to push away the calling you place on our lives, but to say yes. And Lord, we pray that we would glorify you in all that we do and say. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.